Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, February 28th. We begin with the war in Ukraine, now into day five. We catch up with Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent for the latest, including details on today's meeting between Ukraine and Russian officials in Belarus. Next, the impact the volatility in Eastern Europe will have on energy prices here at home, from filling up the car to home heating. We discuss with Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy. Then we look at what, if anything, we can do here at home to help the people of Ukraine. We speak with Don Romaniuk, spokesperson for the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. And finally, we can all use a little pick-me-up right about now. So today, on Motivational Monday, we meet local graphic designer-turned-author Laura Ballerini. Laura shares with us her unique story and why she encourages people to find art in everyday life. Russia and Ukraine agreed to talk after President Vladimir Putin put Russian nuclear forces on high alert this morning. With the latest on the war in Ukraine and this morning's talks, we're joined this morning by Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. Hi, Reggie. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. What's the latest? Uh, so, I mean, look, there's a lot of fronts where we can start uh, with the latest, whether that is the ongoing talks that are taking place at an undisclosed location uh, in Belarus between Russian uh, and Ukrainian uh, officials in some attempt to try and broker a ceasefire here. There are developments coming out of Washington with additional sanctions being put on uh, the Russian economy and Russia's central bank in order to uh, make it more difficult for them to gain access to the financial markets. Uh, and we're also just seeing an ongoing shelling of residential neighborhoods across parts of Ukraine. Uh, which goes against this narrative from Russia that they're simply trying to target military assets. Things things change here almost on a minute-by-minute basis. Like you said, Reggie, uh, no shortage of material to cover when it comes to the conflict. Uh, let's uh, zoom in on the meeting that is, in fact, taking place right now between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, do we know which officials are representing? I, I heard that President Zelensky is uh, not within those meetings. Is that correct? President Zelensky not at those meetings. There were reports that the Russian president may have been present via um, via a telegram channel, but uh, they're keeping a lot of this under wraps. These are mostly uh, higher level um, uh, government officials and diplomatic officials within uh, Russia and within Ukraine in this, uh, this border town in Belarus. It's worth pointing out here, though, that they are not meeting in any kind of neutral territory. Belarus has obviously aligned itself quite firmly with Moscow and we know that Belarusian troops are potentially uh, going to be deployed as an auxiliary force to uh, to kind of help out Russian troops uh, in Ukraine. Nonetheless, I think that this, uh, and according to, to analysts that we've been talking to, uh, this is a, a bold move for Ukraine because it's not assumed that Russia thought this far into this offensive that Ukraine would be in a position to be holding talks saying that they want a full ceasefire and a, a Russian withdrawal. This is kind of a power play for for Ukraine that's unclear though if there'll be a breakthrough. Reggie, the Russian economy paying a heavy price as the world really unites and stands up to Russia and Putin and says that we're not going to tolerate that. Do you think that will have any effect or is it only sort of a, a time will tell sort of situation to see what happens to Russia and its economy moving forward? Well, I mean, look, President Putin holding a meeting this morning with high-level uh, um, uh, banking and finance ministers within the Kremlin, uh, all of whom have expressed concern over what this is doing to the Russian uh, economy, uh, freezing the Russian uh, central bank's uh, ability to access its its multi-hundred billion slush fund uh, in foreign currency, really is going to put additional pressure on this country, and it will be widespread and wide-felt by a larger part of the population. We're at a point now where there are some oligarchs that are now speaking out against Russian President Vladimir Putin, saying, 
saying maybe it is time to end this war because they fear that, you know, these oligarchs are billionaires and enjoy a lavish lifestyle. And they are now feeling the implications of uh, the moves of a president that it doesn't seem has 100 percent support from his own inner circle. On the topic of speaking out, Reggie, we're hearing that uh, the numbers vary. It sounds like between uh, 4,000 and 6,000 Russians detained uh, for, uh, you know, protesting against these actions within Russia uh, itself, right? Yes, uh, the numbers that we're seeing are uh, around 6,000. And while that is a devastating number to see uh, when people are losing that that ability to protest against something uh, that they feel is wrong with their government, the fact that you're seeing numbers that high of people that are gathering outside, whether it's in Moscow or whether it's in St. Petersburg or elsewhere across Russia, it shows that there is a strong stance and a strong tie here with the Ukrainian people that maybe, again, this could be an overplayed hand by the Russian government if he's seeing that much dissent because Russia is not the kind of country that will often and stand up uh, uh, in these kinds of droves of numbers to push back uh, on the Kremlin. And they really do join just that chorus of rallies that are being held across the world. Reggie, how is that message getting out in Russia? Because we know Putin controls the narrative, controls the media. Has, has the media been hacked in Russia? Is that how the Russian people are actually finding out what is truthfully going on? If they can find out, look, there have been uh, attempts to shut down uh, the social media networks across Russia so that there's going to be less information. Some of those television stations that are state-owned that were broadcasting were not using words like war. They weren't downplaying the situation at all or the grim numbers that we're seeing. Uh, but there have been hacks of TV stations uh, and, and of TV uh, state-owned websites that are showing the true numbers. They're showing the numbers of Russian soldiers that have died uh, while providing you know date-by-date information to get it out there. It's hard to tell whether or not this will be absorbed by the Russian population. Much of them are under the influence of the Kremlin and it's hard to break through, but getting that information out there will be key. All right, let's uh, go back to what uh, Sue brought the segment in with, which, uh, you know, nuclear forces on alert. Uh, President Putin uh, made that clear, I believe, late yesterday. Uh, what, what, what does this mean exactly? I mean, obviously, uh, we, we don't want to see it come to this. How serious is something like this or is just just a statement? I mean, look, the way that, that U.S. officials are calling this is just another manufactured threat by uh, by way of the Kremlin, who has used these kind of, you know, phony attempts of a threat against Russian security to justify their own movement in towards Ukraine, whether it was a threat that they saw from Ukraine, a threat they saw from NATO. Uh, they're now saying that, you know, that they will put nuclear assets on standby if things escalate any further. This is in retaliation to sanctions. It's in retaliation to what it sees, uh, you know, the West as this, quote unquote, empire of lies, uh, but it does escalate things further here uh, that has put the security of NATO at risk, the security of the European Union and of the world, because this is a leader within Ukraine, uh, within uh, Russia, rather, that has been acting uh, kind of, you know, off the cuff with no real playbook here. Uh, and while it's un clear and unlikely that he will launch any kind of um, nuclear assault, the world is now watching to say what is going to happen next and how prepared do we need to be? He potentially could be using this as a way to just force people to back off. And if they don't, what happens? We know Russia is being pushed out of the SWIFT banking system, so that's definitely a, a blow to the country. But the big move would be to cut off Russian oil, but no word on any country doing that. There's no word on any country doing that except what we saw about the 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 um, the, the certification or the decertification of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in towards Germany. But uh, again, we've heard from the United States that they may not uh, target Russian oil right now because of, uh, you know, the domestic impact that could have on the Biden administration at home. But it's also worth pointing out cutting off oil to the West may not do that much damage to Russia, considering they just signed hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars worth of contracts to send their oil into China through a pipeline in Siberia. Uh, so, I mean, Russia does have the 
ability here to to tap into markets that are not the Western markets that are much more friendly and, and close tied with it. Uh, so their money is still going to be there. Just before we let you go, Reggie, we were hearing that hundreds of thousands of uh, Ukraine residents made their way are making their way out of the country. Uh, you know, Poland seems to be uh, the main destination. What are you hearing about uh, folks who want to leave Ukraine? Are they still having that ability? They do have those abilities. Uh, trains are still rolling out. Free train tickets uh, are being given to uh, to Ukrainians that are trying to get out. Poland, Romania, these are countries that are uh, openly accepting anybody who comes in. The United States has said that they will work with any European partners to ensure uh, that refugees are able to find a home. Private organizations like Airbnb, uh, their humanitarian network is also offering up uh, places for people to live and to stay. This is a global effort to ensure that the safety of a population that is you know caught up in a war that they didn't ask for is taken care of. But the U.S has has warned that this is going to create a humanitarian crisis right across Europe. Thank you, Reggie. Appreciate the update. Thanks. Thank you, Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington Washington correspondent. And if you want to donate to the Ukraine Humanitarian Appeal, you can visit cufoundation.ca. The Russian invasion of Ukraine will have impacts on gas prices here at home. With details on what we can expect and some insight into Canada's dependency on Russian oil, we're just joined this morning by Dan McTagg, President, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Good morning to you, Dan. Oh, good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy. Hey, uh, you know, I think we're all finding out more about who is actually using Russian oil due to this war that we're experiencing right now in Eastern Europe. And I think a lot of Canadians are really shocked to find out that Eastern Canada uses mostly Russian oil. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, yes, it uses, uh, the first initial view is about half a billion dollars worth a year, but that may actually be closer to five billion a year. It doesn't sound like a lot, but if you look at an average of uh, $60 a barrel, that's uh, a lot closer to 30,000 barrels of oil a day. And uh, for that perspective, that's money that goes right back to uh, Vladimir Putin to engage in the war uh, and, and you know, uh, destruction of, uh, of, of Ukraine. And it isn't just Canada uh, allowing this on the East Coast, which is in of itself embarrassing for a country that is, has the mm-hmm. third largest reserves in the world. And uh, certainly, last time I checked, isn't engaging in picking fights with neighboring countries. We also have our neighboring friends to the South, the United States, uh, you know, not long after killing the Keystone XL pipeline, the Biden administration uh, thought nothing of importing 800,000 barrels of oil a day to, uh, you know, woke places like California and Washington State. Uh, and so here you have Russian vessels coming into Canadian waters, uh, bypassing the Puget Sound and delivering at both uh, the Washington State uh, refineries as well as California. It just doesn't make sense. And it's one of the reasons I called last week for our federal government to work with G7 and other nations uh, within NATO to ban uh, Russian oil uh, from making its way to North America, much less uh, to Europe. Will will this before we get to the you know how this could price uh, you know impact yeah. Canadians with prices of the pump and, and heating our homes? Um, could this be enough, Dan? Because yeah, it, it makes no sense whatsoever that we're not using what we have. I think it's uh, creating a bit of a, uh, a, a wake up call for Canadians. I think many of us are starting to realize. Maybe it isn't such a bright idea to block pipelines in this country. Mm-hmm. And uh, all in the name of, you know, whatever objective we want, I'm sure well-intentioned, at the end of all of this, uh, we are not just making Canadians vulnerable with higher prices as we have to import. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also destabilizing uh, the world and making it a much less safer place by not getting, uh, you know, the third largest player when it comes to oil in the world, sending oil to different parts of the world. By the way, being number three, you think of the number one and two, uh, being Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, 
uh, yes, give it a really hard shake, especially those who advocate for pipeline, you know, uh, uh, hijinks. Uh, you know, do you want those two other countries ahead of us, along with Russia, to be able to sell uh, and produce, uh, you know, oil at what cost? And so, I think Canadians really have to have a a bit of a an adult discussion about what's going on, and maybe uh, de-emphasize a little bit of where we've been going, and start emphasizing the fact that we are a solution to the world. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to the dollars and cents of it. Will we see gas prices here at home be impacted by the war? Not yet. Uh, so, look, uh, gasoline production is adequate. Oil prices uh, continue to you know to just struggle in the mid nineties ninety five range. It looks like until we actually see oil being dis, you know uh, being diverted or uh, you know we see Russia stopping or being prevented from exporting its oil uh, until that happens. Uh, what you see is what you're going to get. Uh, within a few pennies, what's really at play, however, isn't so much the entanglement between Russia and Eastern Europe. It is, in fact, the continuation of a low supply, uh, tightness in global supplies of oil, even without Russia uh, invading uh, Ukraine. Uh, this is a much bigger, uh, you know, problem that we are seeing on a uh, on a macroeconomic scale. And it really means that. Uh, no matter what, for 2022 and 2023, at least, until the you know nations get their minds around this idea that they have to shut down uh, and uh, you know move capital away from uh, oil and gas, we're going to continue to pay an extraordinarily high toll uh, at the pumps and pretty much for everything else because of the cost of inflation. This is creating, and of course, the weakness in the Canadian dollar. We used to be the petrodollar. We don't sell oil anymore. No one's attracted to Canada like they were in the past. So Canadians are paying a lot more, uh, perhaps as much as 15% more for everything, not just fuel, because uh, the weakness in the Canadian dollar sparked in no small way by uh, our you know, the world's disinterest up until now in Canadian oil and gas. All right, we'll have to leave it there for time, but thanks for your insight and thanks for your time this morning, Dan. Uh, thanks, Andy. Cheers, Sue. As Dan McTagg, President, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Canada, I found this surprising. Canada has the largest Ukrainian population outside of Ukraine, with over 300,000 living right here in Alberta. With details on how we can support Ukraine, we're joined this morning by Don Romaniak, a media spokesperson for the Ukrainian Canadian Congress of Alberta. Good morning to you, Don. Thank you for being here. It's interesting because I, I did not know there was such a huge contingent of Ukrainian people in our country. But I'm wondering, you know, we do know if you're if you're following this, and I think everybody's following the conflict in in the sense of the situation in the sense that you know you know that they're nine hours ahead. It's it's a country on the other side of the world. I think there's part of us that feels like we can't do anything, but that's not the case, is it? Not at all. Not at all. What can what can we do? Well, uh, lots of things. The first thing I don't know if you watched uh, some of the. TV the last, even just the last few days, showing how many uh, rallies, how many demonstrations there have been of uh, Ukrainians and of uh, just citizens of, uh, of, the, of the Western world who have, been, uh, who have been protesting in the defense in support of Ukraine. It's really, really, really important to send the message to Vladimir Putin that he and, uh, and, and the Russian Federation are international pariahs for what they are presently doing in Ukraine. And that's happening. So the first thing is simply, you know, uh, give voice to, uh, to your support for uh, this um, emerging democratic country that, that, that is, you know, facing existential, uh, existential peril. 
Uh, second thing I would say is uh, for, for, for ordinary Canadians, write, write to your, write to your uh, MPs, your federal MPs. Uh, ask them for the following three or four things. The first and most important is, why on earth is Canada still purchasing Russian oil? 600,000 barrels a day. Every dollar that's used to purchase that oil is uh, going straight into the uh, uh, Russian treasury. And today we're seeing it is, is, is being used to pay for Russian army sweeping into Ukraine and, and bombing uh, uh, the country. I mean, does that make sense to anybody? Mm. Uh, the second thing is we need to embargo all trade with Russia, and that appears to be happening. Um, uh, we hear that Russia is being removed from the swift financial uh, uh, transaction system, but there still seem to be gaps and exceptions. There should be no exceptions. We should make it as difficult as possible, as painful as possible for the Russian economy so that Mr. Putin understands that he can't simply march into another country uh, and simply, you know, change international borders. Um, uh, the other kinds of things that, that we could and should be asking for um, uh, are uh, additional additional um, uh, uh, sanctions against uh, those citizens of the Russian state that uh, are, are are profiting simply by the fact that the rest of the world is abiding by international law and order uh, and, and and carrying on life as everyone would expect it to, and and that includes. Uh, all citizens of the Russian Federation who are, let's say, NHL athletes, uh, who are uh, entertainers, uh, performers, uh, musicians, artists, um, uh, their visas should be uh, should be terminated, mm-hmm. and we should not be issuing new visas for for individuals in uh, that are citizens of that country uh, to uh, to come here and and benefit while their leader. Is uh, is sending hundreds of thousands of troops into Ukraine? Absolutely, uh, and, and and cruise missiles and uh, 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 and uh, uh, I forgot the other term. The, uh, the weaponry as a well, whole, right? Yeah. Weaponry, you know, and Don too. I'm just seeing Facebook parent company shutting mm-hmm. down the Russian disinformation network as well. I think that's a key yeah. step. But uh, we're going to send people to the website cufoundation.ca to help donate to the Ukraine humanitarian appeal as well. We thank you so much for your time this morning and we'll keep on talking to you as this uh, as this war progresses and hopefully Canadians can do everything possible to try and help the people of Ukraine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bodan Romanyak, media spokesperson for the Ukrainian Canadian Congress here in Alberta. Well, this is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. And joining us this morning is Laura Ballerini, a graphic designer and author of The Green Velvet Chair, Heartfelt Stories of Art and Design in Everyday Life. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I love the book. I love the stories. And it's true, you know, I was reading through it. And even though we might not realizing it, uh, be, realize it, but art and design it's there in our everyday life. It truly does affect us on the daily, doesn't it? Did you start to realize that back in your early days working at the Calgary Herald? Um, no, it kind of just came to me when I, I started reading about, or thinking about all the the events in my life and going, you know, I'm a graphic designer, but art and design affects us all. So it kind of just kind of came to light over the last couple of years and came very obvious. What about the challenges, Laura, of going from graphic design to putting pen to paper and, you know, deciding to, to switch to the authoring world, if you will? Mm. 
That's a good question. I found that, you know, I'm a creative person, so I'm a, a visual person, and that's been my career. But I found kind of transitioning to the written word was quite um, seamless. It was like I was just ch- taking those visual cues that I had in my in my brain, so to speak, and putting them on paper. And I found that I found it a beautiful transition from visual creativity to verbal and oral creativity. Tell us about the significance of the green velvet chair in the title of your book and how it relates to, to seeing, you know, art and design in our daily lives. Yeah, that's a story about my mom. So my mom um, was a very creative person. She wasn't a designer, but she was very creative in everything she did. And um, the inspiration I got from the green velvet chair was from her. So years ago when we were little kids, she found this dilapidated old chair in a farmer's field, and she offered him a little bit of money to uh, take this chair home and recover it. And, uh, you know, we all thought, what she, what she <laughs> see in this piece of junk? And uh, she brought it home. She took an upholstery course. She recovered it. She refinished the wood. And uh, it sits now in my living room and and I thought we never saw her vision but she had a vision and it made me respect the power of of vision and and, you know seeing what others see that um, we don't necessarily um, envision at first so I found that very powerful. To to take it back to the chair did your mom have any other previous experience with upholstery or or, you know furniture rejuvenation? No I mean she was like I say she was creative she was a brilliant seamstress so she could sew but never did any upholstery this was kind of her first realm and her first uh, experience and it was uh, very successful I just I loved a lot of the uh, the stories that you told in there. One of them was really quite simple, but I think it relates well to today. But about your cat's perspective, <laughs> looking through, uh, you know, the blinds on a door and and what he was able to see outside. And tell us how that kind of it, it, it actually is a really good positive message for us today. Yeah, and that was that was a funny story because my home office is right across from my bedroom, and I w- would walk down the hall and I'd see the cat sitting in front of these closed blinds, and I'd go, "What is he looking at? What?" he possibly see so one day I thought I'm just gonna lay down beside him and see if you know the slats and the blinds if he can see slivers and certainly when I laid down beside him he ran away but it it allowed me to see kind of these slivers of light and he can see the backyard and he didn't see the full perspective but what he saw was these slivers of the the sky and the animals running around you know the, the squirrels and that and it it gave me a perspective literally of how we see things and sometimes the blinds are open and we see it in full scope and sometimes we only see half the story and it's really understanding you know our perspective and our point of view and, mm-hmm. and really respecting that and now your neighbors think you're crazy because they say, what's that woman doing on the ground there looking through the blinds well luckily it's a it's a private backyard and no one saw me laying on the ground looking up the blinds well let's let's dig into it now and i, I know we've, we've kind of delved into the fact that you know perspective is everything but you, you've got a few tips to leave with our listeners this morning, starting with the art isn't found just in museums. So give us some, you know, applications people can use to, to you know, notice this in their everyday lives. Yeah, so, you know, in the book, there's a couple stories about um, a tapestry in a museum in the Vatican, um, the Vatican Museum. There's a sculpture in New York that I saw before and after 9-11, but it's really about, you know, making ravioli with my Italian mother-in-law. It's making Ukrainian Easter eggs with my own mother. It's Halloween costumes. It's music. It's interior design. It's furniture. It's how we dress. It's how we talk. Design is everywhere. 
And and it can be, you know, it really can bring love and beauty into your life. And it, it doesn't just have to be something you go to where they say art can be found. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love this because, um, you know, in your stories, you also, at the by the end of the book, you refer to yourself as a badass. <laughs> so uh, your second tip is nurture that inner badass in you. Why so? Yeah. So a while ago, somebody described me as very nice, quiet, got along with everybody. And it was a beautiful way to be described, but I thought, damn, I wish someone would describe me as a badass. And a badass, not someone that, you know, wears leathers and drives a Harley, but someone that can stand up to the bullies. And someone that, you know, when someone says, you can't do that, Laura. And I look at them and I say, just watch me. And it's, you know, losing my inhibition at my daughter's wedding. I grabbed a bottle of wine and I danced in the middle of the dance floor with a couple of other um, neighborhood moms. We each had a bottle of wine and we danced to UB40's red, red wine all night. And I left the dance floor and one of my daughter's friends said, you are badass. <laughs> so it kind of inspired me to, um, we all have that inner badass and I think we should nurture it. And you've made it. Yeah. Once somebody else calls you in yeah. your mind, it's fine until <laughs> yeah, somebody yeah, exactly. recognizes it. Uh, next up is finding your own creative outlet. And I think this is key because, you know, you might look at somebody else and say, well, they're a great painter. And you try to get into it, it's just not a fit for you, although you appreciate what somebody else is doing. How do you find your own creative outlet that's a, a fit for you? Yeah, so that that was an interesting one for me because, you know, I, I realized when you have a problem, you have to get really creative. We're forced to get creative. And I started looking at some of the most brilliant minds of our century. I mean, um, Albert Einstein, was a he was a gifted musician. And I think he used that, you know, the rhythm and the balance and the patterns in music hopefully, I, I believe, to um, to nurture his, uh, his brilliance in physics and mathematics. So I think that uh, whether it's woodworking, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, um, baking, I think there's um, finding that creative outlet and really using that to become a more creative thinker and a, I think a deeper thinker. And, and it can motivate you in so many different ways. And it clearly motivated you to write this beautiful book. It's called The Green Velvet Chair, Heartfelt Stories of Art and Design in Everyday Life. Laura Ballerini, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. That uh, is graphic designer and author Laura Ballerini. You can go to her website, www.badass-ballerini.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.